It's a great honor and privilege for me to have the opportunity to fill the pulpit today for Pastor Tim on such a special day, a day where we we honor our mothers and and our grandmothers and even our our motherly mentors that we have here in this congregation. And um, I thank Becca for sharing with her son her gift and you know, I don't even know if there's a need to preach this sermon today because you've got a very, very good picture of it with that um, worship through music. And, and uh, what a neat picture that was and a great song that that is. Um, before we get to honoring our mothers today, if you just let me introduce myself. My name is Matt McDermott. Um, together with my wife and two children, we've been attending Big Woods for about a year now. Uh, some of the greeters at the back door uh, know us very well as the, the last family through the door. We're the family that comes through the door and then they know to come in and sit down because there will be no no others. <laughs> and quite honestly, this is the earliest I've ever been to church today, and I think it was maybe 15 minutes early. Uh, and so, you know, can I just say from my family to this family that thank you for welcoming us into this body of believers. Uh, we've felt the love of Christ since the day we've stepped through the door and um, we so much appreciate the uncompromising gospel that Pastor Tim brings to this pulpit each and every Sunday. And, and, I, and I certainly have big shoes to fill this morning. I know that I don't take this task lightly. But I find solace in the fact that re- regardless of what I do in the next 30 minutes or so here, it's, it's not really about me at all. It's about what Christ can do who lives in me. And, and you know what? You know, we, we are going to honor mothers today, but it's not really all about mothers today either. I want you to know that. Because as we honor mothers today, we ultimately honor God. Because it was, it was God who commissioned mothers when he told Adam and Eve to, to multiply and increase in number. You know, it was God that sent his only son to live in, to be born of this virgin Mary. And if we really want a picture of what God thinks about mothers, I take you to the cross at Calvary. For there on that cross hung Jesus. And in all of the pain and torture of that crucifixion, there's Jesus. He, he's near death. He looks down and he sees his mother. And he sees the apostle whom he loves, John. And he says to John, he says, or excuse me, he says to his mother, Woman, behold thy son. And he looks to John and he says, Behold thy mother. Even in the midst of enduring such pain and suffering, Jesus cared for his mother and was concerned about her after he was gone. You know, we honored mothers today because God himself honored mothers. If you have your Bibles, I would ask you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Verses 3 through 9. I also am going to have it on the, the PowerPoint screen. I'm asking that the Spirit would help me remember to move that. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Can we just pray? Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that you are sovereign over everything on this earth, Lord. We don't take a breath apart from you. And Lord, I just thank you today for our mothers and our grandmothers and our our womenly mentors in this very congregation who speak truth into the life of their children and and disciple those young people around them. 
Lord, I would just ask that your spirit is with me today, Lord, that that it wouldn't be my words today, that it would be yours, that it wouldn't be for my pride, but it would be for your glory, Lord. I would just ask you to come and do in me what I can't do today, Lord. Calm my nerves. Let this be about you today, Lord, in your son's most holy name. Amen. First Timothy, or excuse me, Second Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 9 says this. This is the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but rather join with me in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. You know, being that it's Mother's Day, I, I find it fitting that we start uh, this message today in verse 5 where it says, I am reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. You know, what a neat picture for, for all of you mothers and, and grandmothers out there who um, have spoken into the lives of those, your, your very children You know, verse 5 gives a quick glimpse into the most influential people in Timothy's life. The most influential people in his spiritual life were his grandmother and his mother. In fact, if you would, just turn over like one or two pages in your Bible with me to 2 Timothy, chapter 3, 14 and 15. Just a page or two over. It's on the screen as well. 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. Paul says this, But as for you, continue in what you have learned to become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation in faith in Christ Jesus. You know, once again, we find Paul encouraging Timothy on the basis of Timothy's knowledge of the Scriptures. And, and you know, it was customary back then that uh, young boys began learning the Old Testament as young as the age of five. But, but we get a picture here, and Paul clearly alludes to this that Timothy had a jump start on his five-year-old counterparts. He says, continue in what you've learned to become convinced of, because you know those from whom you've learned it, that's his mother and grandmother, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. You know, from infancy implies that from the time he was basically born, Timothy's mother and perhaps grandmother were speaking their faith into young Timothy's life. And I don't know about you, but this is really amazing to me because I have kids. I bring my kids to service. I have a five-year-old and an eight-year-old. And about five minutes into the announcements, my kids are done. They're ready to pack up shop and go home. You know what I mean? And that's considering we've missed the first two songs because we're always late. (laughs) You know, about midway through the service, it's, Mommy, I want scratch paper to draw. Daddy, I'm thirsty. Are we, are we almost done? You know, I have to go to the bathroom. He's looking at me. She started it. And, and, and on and on and on. Maybe you can relate this morning. 
I know this, Eunice deserves props here. You know, she surely faced challenges. We don't see them in the scriptures here. We don't hear about them. But what parent doesn't? But what we do know was that from a very young age, she was successful in speaking truth into young Timothy's life. You know, to the mothers in the congregation today, I've got to tell you, I, I, I could stand before you and I could, could list character traits and abilities that you mothers possess. Things that God has just so blessed you mothers with. I, I could list things like selflessness and, and unconditional love and patience. I, I could list your ability to hear a crying child from, from three rooms away when you're in a deep sleep. Or I could, you know, talk about the way that you persevere for, through load after load after load of, of washing, drying, folding, and putting away laundry. Or I could talk about your ability to, to feed your husband and your children in the 25 minutes between work and baseball practice. Perhaps I could stand here today and commend you for, for sweeping and swiffering the floor, knowing full well that your husband and the, the dog are just going to track dirt in on it five minutes later. Or your kids will, will spill something on it. I mean, I could sing the praises of you mothers for, for cleaning the bathrooms and washing the dishes and buying the groceries and, and packing school lunches and dusting and ironing and for making beds and for doing all this with two kids on your hip. I could go on and on and on, but even if I talk till noon, I could never mention a character trait or task as important as modeling and teaching the gospel to your children. Are you tracking me? I marvel at all the day-to-day -day things that you women do. In fact, as I sat at my kitchen table and I, I compiled that list, I began to wonder just what I do around the house. <laughs> I think my wife's down at the nursery, so that's, we're okay. <laughs> but hear me out, mothers, regardless of these seemingly mundane tasks that you women perform on a daily basis. Your most important task is to glorify God in all of them in the eyes of your children. You know what's even cooler about this whole Eunice and Timothy story? According to Acts 16.1, we find that Timothy's mother Eunice was a Jewish Christian, but it only mentions that his father was a Greek. In fact, it's assumed by many that his father wasn't a believer at all. You know, that means that this great man of God, Timothy, this pastor, Timothy, who even the apostle Paul himself describes as my true son in the faith, was raised to love and serve the Lord primarily by the maternal side of his family. You know, I'm certain that that hits home in this very congregation. To you single mothers out there, and to you mothers whose husbands are, are not saved, hear me out. Th this passage of scripture has got to give you some hope of what the Lord can do through you. I, I mean, even when the man in your life fails to fulfill his commitment of being the spiritual head of the household, th this has got to give you hope. You should remember this passage when you're praying alone with your children at night. You should remember this passage when you're dragging reluctant kids to Sunday worship. You should remember this passage when the devil tries to tell you that you're not good enough as a single parent. Because the fact is, you aren't good enough. None of us are. But the one you have faith in sets the standard for good enough.
And he promises that he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you. Be encouraged by this. Live out your faith before the eyes of your children. The first point of my message today, and you can get it in your scripture notes there, is mothers, never underestimate your role in the spiritual development of your children. And might I also add, just that we could bring in everyone, you know, the rest of us who aren't mothers of children are called to be the Paul in Timothy's life. We're called to surround these single mothers and to support them and lift them up and disciple their young people. Each of us has a calling in that regard. But mothers, I want to make it very clear, you should never underestimate the role in the spirit, your role in the spiritual development of your children. You know, for many of you, that might mean simply glorifying God in the endless tasks that you do for your family. And for others like Eunice, it might be actively teaching the scriptures in such a way as to instill a sincere faith in your children. I don't know how many of you had the opportunity to hear Kevin Durant's thank you speech late last week. Kevin Durant gave the speech upon accepting the 2014 MVP award as the best player in professional basketball. The last two minutes or so of that speech were directed to his mother, and I'd like to share them with you because they pertain very well to this first point, in my opinion. Again, this is Kevin Durant, 2014 uh, MVP of the NBA, if you get that. Here's Kevin Durant speaking. He says to his mother and to the audience, I don't think you know what you did. You had my brother when you were 18 years old. Three years later, I come out. The odds were stacked against her. Single parent with two boys by the time you were 21. Everybody told us we weren't supposed to be here. We moved from apartment to apartment by ourselves. One of the best memories I have is when we moved into our first apartment. No bed, no furniture. We just all sat in the living room and hugged each other because we thought we made it. When something good happens to you, I don't know about you guys, but I tend to look back at what brought me here. You woke me up in the middle of the night in the summer times, making me run up a hill, making me do push-ups, screaming at me from the sidelines at my games at eight or nine years old. We weren't supposed to be here. You made us believe. You kept us off the street. You put clothes on our backs, food on the table. When you didn't eat, you made sure we ate. You went to sleep hungry. You sacrificed for us. You're the real MVP. I couldn't help but think, what a fitting tribute to his mother and to all mothers who have sacrificed and at times suffered so much for their children. You know, the sports world has blown this thing up. They're playing replays, and, I mean, they've written articles. It's online. But as great as the last two minutes of that speech were, in my opinion, they pale in comparison to the first two sentences of his speech. Durant opened his speech by saying this, First of all, I want to thank God for changing my life and letting me really realize what life is all about. Basketball is just a platform for me to inspire people, and I realize that. I can't help but think that the content in the last two minutes of that speech were the catalyst for the first two lines of that speech. What an amazing picture of a mother whose life of sacrifice paved the way for the spiritual development of such an amazing young athlete. And so my first point was very motherly focused, but hang in there. Uh, My remaining points are for all of us. 
I don't want any of you feeling left out today. So if we could just go back now, again, I'll try to keep it up here on the screen for you, to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We, we hit the idea behind verse 5 really hard. So, so now let's take a look at verse 6. Verse 6 says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through, laying, for, excuse me, through the laying on of my hands. Paul is encouraging Timothy here in this sixth verse to utilize the gifts which God has entrusted to him. You know, you've got to get the picture behind the letter. Paul writes this letter from a, a Roman prison cell, a dark, damp prison cell. And in fact, his, his life was near end. And he knows this, and he knows that upon his death, the ministry is going to get tougher for Timothy. And so he's, in, he's encouraging him here. He doesn't want Timothy to become stagnant in his faith, but rather he wants him to, to just go from the, the foundation that he has and be so much more. You know, Paul knows exactly what Timothy's capable of. I mean, Timothy served with Paul on, on his missionary journeys. You know, looking at this, you wouldn't think Timothy needed encouragement. I mean, Timothy's been battle-tested. He's been on the mission field. In fact, at the time of this letter, I'm no theologian and I can be corrected, but uh, I think at the time of this letter, Timothy had been pastoring the church in Ephesus for four years. Yet here's Paul telling him to to fan into flame the gift that God has placed in you. You know, it's a, it's a great lesson for us that regardless of where we are in our, our spiritual walk, that we all need encouragement. We all need to be, to be built up. We all need to be uh, spurred on to bigger and better things. You know, you should also realize sitting here that if you're a follower of Christ today, that you've been gifted by the Spirit. Every one, of us, every one of us has been gifted by the Spirit. And so perhaps Paul's message to Timothy is the same to you. Fan into flame your gift. Spiritual gifts aren't, aren't, aren't given necessarily in full bloom. They need to be developed. That's what Paul's saying here. He's telling Timothy, you know, you've got this great faith. You, you had this great grandmother and you had this great mother. And, and I've laid my hands on you and commissioned you to this pastoral field, an evangelistic field. But continue to fan it into existence. Continue to use it. Stir up your faith. You know, for some of us, I, I, I think the picture here is this. You know, we're not to rest on our grandmother's faith. We're not to rest on our, our father's faith or our mother's faith. We're to apply our faith and our gifts Paul says, apply the gifts you've been given. You've been taught this great faith, now use it. Can you connect with that today? I mean, I sure can. You know, I was raised in a Christian household. But I have to admit, I don't think I ever used a spiritual gift until I was out of college. I mean, I was, I was content as a young person going to church to worship my parents' God. I, I was content as a young person to, to tell people how my grandfather was an elder in the church and, and my uncles were pastors in other states. I was content with letting my family heritage be my faith and just that. That was it. I checked church off my to-do list and I, I worshiped my parents' God and I didn't make it personal to me. I didn't see myself as having these gifts that God has blessed me with to edify those around me. I didn't get that picture. 
You know, there's a, a quote by Tom and Jess Rainier from their book, The Millennial. It says, for many millennials, Christianity is a family heirloom rather than a faith commitment. Did you catch that? Christianity is a family heirloom rather than a faith commitment. Unfortunately, I think this quote could be applied to more than just our young people today. You know, is, is that you today? Is, is your faith just something that's passed down from generation to generation like grandma's rocking chair or, or pop's hunting rifle? Or, or are you fanning into flame this gift that God has placed inside of you? You get that picture here, right? Of fanning into flame your gift? I mean, my family and I, we, we love to go camping. One of our favorite things to do is, is go camping. And, and when I go camping, I love to have a fire. And I, I have this fire from the time I pull into my site until the time I leave. I've got a fire going. And, and I, my most prideful thing about this fire, it's terrible to be prideful, but my pro, prideful thing about this fire is that I, I try to use one match to light it on the day I get there. You see, I light this fire with one match, and then my, my entire goal of camping is to keep that fire going without having to light another match. And so what I do is I build this fire big enough at night that there will be these small coals buried in the ashes. There's these small coals in that fire in the morning. You, you can't see them. They're covered with ash. But under the ashes, there's these small coals. And, and, and so you know what I do. I, I, I cut up kindling, and I cut up really, really small. And, and I might get some pine cones and some sticks. And, and I, I build my Boy Scout teepee, you know what I mean? Like above these coals, I, I build my Boy Scout teepee. And I, I place this teepee there, and you know what I do? What I do next is what Paul's describing here. I blow on it. I blow on it. And you know, as I blow, the smoke begins to, to rise up. And so when I start to see smoke, I, I blow again. I, a little harder this time. And as I blow harder and harder, you begin to see these coals that were, were once dim and covered with ashes. They begin to glow red. They begin to glow hot. And so I blow harder yet. And I might fan it because I'm running out of breath. You know what I mean? And, and, and as I fan it, these, these red, these coals become glowing so red hot that they heat the kindling around it. And, and so with one last giant breath, I go, and I've got fire. Without a match, I've got fire. And you know what the coolest part is? Get the analogy here. That others can now see this fire. And others can now warn themselves by this fire. You see, this, this, this one time small ember was covered with ashes that no one can see and no one can feel. But now it's glowing bright and people can feel it and people can see it and people can warn themselves by it. Friends, in the same way, God has equipped us all with spiritual gifts. And we're to be fanning and into existence, these gifts, that we might edify those around us. Point number two of my message is this. Don't treat your faith like a family heirloom, but rather develop and use your spiritual gifts. You know, this is going to be ever so important. I I just get the impression that as this church body grows and possibly moves to another building and, and people start to come, don't know that that's ever been more important that we need to raise up people for ministries to help the broken who walk through our doors. Point two leads me into my third and final point. Let's go back to verse seven. These lights are like a greenhouse up here. 
You know what I mean? Like, like I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm a little big boned and like I'm starting to sweat. Verse 7 says this, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. You know, a number of sources allude to the fact that that Timothy might have been somewhat timid or that he lacked confidence. We know that he was quite young, the Bible does say that, and perhaps he was questioned about his youthfulness. But whatever the reason, Paul tells Timothy, don't be timid. You were given a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. And I don't know about you, but I, I need to hear this verse every day, maybe three times a day. Because I have to tell you, if I could just be very transparent with you, it is so much easier for me to stand here and talk to you, the masses, than it is for me, Matt McDermott, to go onto the street and talk someone, to someone one-on-one about Christ. This is easier than me talking one-on-one, and I don't know why. I ask God to do those things. I ask God to open doors that I might speak into someone's life. I want Him to do those things. But when he opens that door, sometimes I'm just timid to step through. You know, I, I, don't, I just don't get it, you know. Sometimes my knees shake a little bit. Sometimes I get, I get real, my palms get sweaty, you know. And I'm just so scared, and I don't know of what. You know, that's the great part about this whole preaching thing, like, I just look at what I need to change, and then I talk to myself and hope that you listen. And today's really great because I get to hear it twice, you know. (laughs) Friends, God doesn't give us a spirit of fear. Rather, he gives us a spirit of of power and of love and of self-discipline. You know, how often I, I just don't remember that it's not about me. It's not about me at all. I'm just the vessel. You know, God will get glory when, where, and in whom He chooses to get glory in spite of me. It won't be because I, I spoke the gospel eloquently or, or I had perfect eye contact with this person or, or, or because I, I spoke with perfect body language. It will be because He chose to work through me into that person. You see, apart from Him, there's no good in me. The spirit of power, the spirit of love, the spirit of self-discipline that we receive is His. It's His spirit of power, His spirit of love, His spirit of discipline. And you know what my Bible says about Him? My Bible says that He is able to do more than we could ever ask or imagine. I don't know if you know that verse or not. I have it here. If you don't know that verse or if it's not underlined in your Bibles or in your notes, you need to get that verse. What an amazing verse. Ephesians 3.20, Now to Him who is able to do immeasurably more then all we ask or imagine according to his power that's at work in us. You know, every time I recite that verse, I I just got to stop and ask myself, Matt, what in the world are you afraid of when you talk to these people? What are you trembling about? Why are you so nervous? Why do I fear? We serve a God who's able to do more than we can even fathom. The book of Isaiah says, to whom can we compare him? Who is his equal? He calls out the starry host by name. And this God that knows every single star by name knows the number of hairs that's on our head. What do we have to fear? 
And so where do we go from here? Reading through verses 8 and 9. 8 says, So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. Join me in suffering for the gospel. That's a tough Mother's Day message this morning, isn't it? Join me in suffering for the gospel. But I ask you this question. How else should we respond to a God who has saved us by his grace? I mean, how else should we respond to this God who sent his one and only perfect son to this earth that he might become the sacrificial lamb for the sins of all mankind? I mean, how do we respond to this this God who, who becomes a man and on that cross at Calvary, onto his unblemished son's shoulders, he takes my sins and he takes your sins and he places them on the shoulders of his perfect son and then the, the wrath that was meant for me and was meant for you, he places upon his son's shoulders and he crutches him for it. He takes the hell that we were to be condemned to upon himself. That on that final day when we're presented before the most righteous and just judge of all, we're presented blameless. I ask you again, how else do you respond to a life of such sacrifice? Except that we would sacrifice our own lives. Except that we would be living sacrifices for him. Philippians 1.29 says, For it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but to also suffer for him. You know, I think as Christians, sometimes we, we comprehend this first part of that verse quite well. We get the believing part. But we don't often acknowledge the suffering part. We don't often acknowledge the, the sacrificial part of this. We don't have to get the idea that believing leads to sacrifice. And, and I, I want to make something very clear. I'm not, I'm not up here preaching you know, salvation through works. Salvation is by grace through faith alone. That's not what I'm preaching. But, but I, I want you to get this. Salvation is by grace through faith. But that road to salvation passes through the blood-stained cross. And there at that blood-stained cross, Jesus is bidding you, come and die that you might live. Come and die to who you are, that you might gain me. We, we, we can't say we believe in such grace and not live a life that's radically transformed. You know, I once heard a, a preacher describe it this way. An encounter with the cross of Christ is like being hit by a logging truck. You can't come into contact with a logging truck and not have your life drastically changed. Perhaps the question you need to ask this morning, and that I need to ask this morning, because I'm not just preaching to you, I'm preaching to myself as well, is that has your relationship with God changed the way you live your life? Has your relationship with God changed the way you live your life? If you were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? I don't know where you are spiritually today, but, but I see us as, all of us, as in one or two 
categories here. Uh, the way I see it, we're either in the pre-logging truck category or we're in the post-logging truck category. For, for some of us, God is calling us to an encounter with this life-changing cross of Christ. And for the rest of us who have already had that encounter, he's calling us to live as though we already have encountered the cross. Because all who encounter the cross have their lives radically changed. That's the message we need to share with others. That's the good news and the hope that we have. And the great thing is, and it's my final point here, is that God calls us out of that spirit of fear by the power of this cross. He gives to each of us this this power and this spirit of love and this spirit of self-discipline. And you might add right underneath that, he gives this all to us, not that we would live comfortably, but rather sacrificially. You know, I'd like to close with a story. Because I... I may have stepped on some toes this morning. Uh, I, I may have had some people question, you know, um, question themselves, you know. Maybe some mothers here who didn't necessarily do it right and they're beating themselves up. And, and so I just want to share the story for all of you who, who just are, are, are feeling like maybe they haven't measured up. The story is uh, by John MacArthur. Uh, It's in this book called More Stories from the Heart. And I'll close with this. Centuries ago, it was known far and wide that a certain tribal leader was the greatest in all of the tribes. When power was measured by proving superior physical strength, the most powerful tribe of all was the one that had the strongest leader. But this tribal leader was also known for his wisdom. In order to help his people live safely and peacefully, he carefully put laws into place, guiding every aspect of their tribal life. The leader enforced those laws strictly and had long ago acquired a reputation for uncompromising justice. In spite of the laws, there were problems. One day, it came to the leader's attention that someone in the tribe was stealing. He called the people together. You know that the laws are for your protection, to help you live safely and in peace, he reminded them. His eyes heavy and with sadness because of his love for them. This stealing must stop. We all have what we need. The penalty has been increased from 10 to 20 lashes from the whip for the person who was caught stealing. But the thief continued to take things that didn't belong to him. So the leader called all the people together again. Please hear me, he pled with them. This must stop. It hurts all of us and makes us feel bad about each other. The penalty has been increased to 30 lashes. Still, the stealing continued. The leader gathered the people together once more. Please, I'm begging you. For your sake, this has to stop. The pain it's causing among you is too great. The penalty has been increased from 40 lashes to 50 lashes from the whip. The people knew of their leader's great love for them, but only those closest to him saw the single tear make its way slowly down his face as he dismissed the gathering. Finally, a man came to say that the thief had been caught. The word had spread. Everyone gathered to see who the thief was. A single gasp raced through the crowd as the thief emerged between two guards. The tribal leader's face fell in shock and grief. The thief was his very own mother, old and frail. What would he do? People wondered aloud, a hushed murmur just fanning out among the crowd. Would he uphold the law or would his love for his mother win over it? 
The people waited and talking amongst themselves and collectively holding their breath. Finally, their leader spoke. My beloved people, his voice broke. In little more than a whisper, he continued, it is for our safety and peace that we must administer the 50 lashes. The pain this crime has caused is too great. And with this nod, the guards led his mother forward. One gently removed her robe to expose the bony and crooked back. The appointed man stepped forward and began to unwind his whip. At the same moment, the leader stepped forward and removed his robe as well, exposing his broad shoulders and seasoned and strong and solid back. Tenderly, he wrapped his arms around his dear mother, shielding her with his body. He whispered gently against her cheek as the tears blended with hers. He nodded once more, and the whip came down again and again. A single moment yet in love, yet in it love and justice found an eternal harmony. Friends, it's not about who we are or what we did. It's not about our past. You see, when you you encounter the life-changing cross, all of those things are gone, and we now live in His power and in His Spirit and with His love. The Bible says that He takes our sins and He, He removes them as far as the east is from the west. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your spirit moving. Lord, I would ask that you would give us a sense of urgency today, Lord, that we wouldn't treat our faith as a family heirloom, that we wouldn't just come to church knowing that it's what we're supposed to do, but rather... We would live our very lives as living sacrifices for you. God, give us a burden for the lost in this community. Give us a burden to to fan into flame the, the spirit and the gifts that you've entrusted us with, that we might edify those around us, Lord. Above all, let us see your cross as calling us to be radically different than this world. Thank you for that cross. Thank you for the blood that you shed. Thank you for becoming a man and taking off your robe and shielding us from the wrath that we deserved. We ask all these things in your son's most holy name. Amen.